Now, I might be being unfair to uh, men everywhere, um, but I think I'm probably not the only one that, um, when I'm in a car, I tend to think that, uh, A, I'm just about the best driver on the road, and, uh, B, I don't pay very much attention to my navigator, uh, who is usually my wife, and, or so she tells me. Um, but our conversations normally go something along these lines. Um, is it right here or, or left? Uh, I think it's left. Are you sure? Because uh, right kind of looks familiar. I'm, I'm sure we went that way last time. Well, I'm looking at the map, and it definitely says we have to turn left. I reckon right's probably a shortcut anyway, and that Google Maps is just sending us on the main roads. We're going to go right. And uh, we normally get lost, and uh, I'm normally in trouble. Um, but one particular uh, example of when that kind of thing happened was when we were going away um, for our honeymoon to the Cotswolds um, one weekend. And um, that particular evening, I think it was a Friday night, there was such uh, a beautiful um, sunset. Um, one of the times when the sky, the whole sky really changes from yellow to orange to red and then, and then pink as the sun drops down, and I'm not normally, um, as a guy, I'm not normally too into these kind of things, but I was just transfixed by this sunset, and uh, I was staring at it for much too long, and um, I asked Anna where the turn-off was, and um, we'd missed it by a few miles. We had to turn back and go again, and uh, obviously I tried to blame her for not telling me that it was coming up three or four times rather than just once or twice, but it was totally my fault. I'd missed the sign, and so I didn't respond to it. And I think missing signs is one of the problems with signs. But um, there are others. Um, we can totally ignore them, can't we? Um, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but imagine um, one of us goes home after church today and we start to feel a, a shortness of, of breath, uh, a pain in our chest, and then shooting pains down our arms. The signs are we're having a heart attack. We'd be, we'd be fools to do nothing about it, wouldn't we? And finally, a silly example, but imagine me back in the car on the way to the Cotswolds, and this time I see the sign, and I stop, not to uh, actually take the turn off. I stop by the sign itself, and I, I look up at it. Wow, this sign is amazing. I say to myself, it's so interesting, isn't it? Look at the, look at the colours in it. Hopefully that's never going to happen. It would be pretty mad. Um, but it's just a kind of... Uh, flippant example of um, not just looking at the sign itself because um, John tells us here that there's something more going on than just a miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. He says it's not just a miracle. Verse 11, he says it's a sign. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. And a sign points to something, doesn't it? It has a purpose. It has a, a function a meaning. So that's what we want to look for this morning. And John tells us later on in his gospel, if you turn to chapter 20 with me, chapter 20, verse 30 is on page 1090, 1090. It says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his Disciples, which are not recorded in, in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus performed these signs, and John wrote them down so that people would believe who Jesus said he was. 
and that by believing they would have life. This is one of seven signs John records. And um, I, hope, I hope we're praying that that might even be true for someone here this morning, that as they see Jesus in this um, sign, in this miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, that they might believe, that they might have faith and therefore life. I hope that's a brilliant example for us as we look forward to the mission in six weeks' time, that we've got all these brilliant events planned, um, but what we really want and all we need is for people to meet Jesus in the words of the gospel. That's all we need for people to come to faith. And for ourselves, I hope that we're going to pray that we might be like the disciples in verse 11. Some of them in the previous chapter we've, we've heard have acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the King. And yet here we're told they put their faith in him. And I think it's putting their faith in him more and more as they, as they see Jesus in action. They put their faith in him. I hope that we'll do that, friends. So, um, this morning, I hope we're just going to have two or three examples of uh, why that's so worthwhile, why Jesus is worth putting our faith in. And our first point this morning is a sign of God's willingness to meet us in our need. A sign of God's willingness to meet us in our need. Now, I've, um, I've managed one or two uh, faux pas hosting uh, dinner parties in my time. And um, I think the worst was um, at the end of uh, a kind of year, we had a home group um, meal that I was making for everyone. And we had a vegetarian uh, girl in our home group who I knew she was a vegetarian and she told me a few days earlier that she was. Um, but uh, I decided to prepare paella and I made it with chicken and with prawns and with chorizo as well so it wasn't much good and uh, I didn't make anything um, for her and um, I, I completely forgot and as we sat down I think there were kind of 10 or 11 of us I just served her the same meal I served everyone else and um, the amazing thing was that she actually ate what I'd given her she was so so gracious and didn't want to uh, kind of cause me offense as the host and it wasn't until we were almost uh, finished and I, I looked round and I saw Sarah and I just thought to myself, oh my goodness, you've just eaten this and I know you're, you're a vegetarian um, and I felt very bad. Um, but there's an even bigger problem here in John's Gospel in, in Cana. Um, the wine is running out or has run out at the wedding. Um, fair enough, it's day three. You might think um, most of us only have to have weddings for an afternoon and evening. Um, this is the third day. I was, I was talking to an Indian colleague in my office last week, and he said he's planning for his son's wedding. And on the third day um, at their wedding, they're having 600 guests at a big uh, country house somewhere north of London. Um, and I guess that's what it was like here. Probably um, the whole village was invited. And by the time we get to day three, there's a big problem. But the bridegroom doesn't even seem to know what's going on. And Jesus is only alerted to the fact by Mary, his mother, who, who, who simply says they have no more wine. Perhaps it was one of her family, family or, or close friends, we don't know. And we'll think a little more about Jesus' slightly strange response to her later on. But um, I think just... In, in simple terms, she's a great example to us, isn't she, Mary? Um, she knows there's a problem. Um, she knows she can't solve it. And she knows she needs to go to someone who can. So she goes to Jesus, and uh, she doesn't just want sympathy. She wants something to happen. 
she goes to Jesus, she says there's no more wine, and um, ignoring his response to her or not being bothered by it, she then says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She expects that he is going to do something. Well, we're not going to spend long on this point because I think our second point is the main kind of thrust of the passage. But um, it kind of interested me that as we uh, see Jesus' ministry, and this is the first kind of um, event in Jesus' ministry that, uh, that John records in his book, that, that this is what he picks. And um, we might have thought perhaps he would, um, Jesus would have done some you know, incredible uh, sermon or speech from the steps of the temple where, where the whole town would have seen him in action. Um, or where, where he'd have had a, a meeting or a dinner with all the important people of the town. Maybe even just recording one of his miracles that he did later on. Couldn't he have started with one of those, a bit more incredible, um, bringing some back to life, he, healing them from an incurable disease? No, Je- Jesus is among ordinary people, isn't he? At a, if not every day, a certainly very regular event. And um, I think it goes to show Jesus' work is all about people, isn't it? Obviously, that would be true when he died for people on the cross. But it was from day one, meeting people in their time of need and being prepared to help them. Well, our problems might be different, mightn't they? Not running out of wine, but um, uh, I haven't got a job. Um, Our relationship just doesn't seem to be working anymore. We don't know how we're going to get through this problem. I'm lonely. And uh, one of those things might be a problem for you. It might be something totally different. Um, But Jesus cares. No matter how um, frustrating or depressing or or embarrassing uh, a problem might be, Jesus cares about it. And I think that's really good news. Chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that the word, Jesus, is God. And um, this God-man cares about the people that he's made. He cares about our our burdens, our our fears, what keeps us awake at night. And I hope that's a really encouraging um, thing for you to ponder this morning. I hope it's encouraging for you to think when you're inviting friends to the mission in a few weeks' time that you might not even know their problems, but um, I imagine uh, most of us have something that uh, worries us or that um, we, we think, about a lot, uh, think about a lot, at least. And um, it's great that we know that as we invite people, that Jesus is interested in those individuals. It's not just that we have concern for them. It's that Jesus does. We have a God who cares, who meets us in our time of need. And, of course, ultimately that would be when uh, he died for us on the cross at just the right time, when we were in need. Whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. But it isn't only that. We've got a God of the details, of the difficulties. And um, as we face these, unable to solve them in our own strength, um, why would we turn anywhere else? Uh, Secondly, then, a sign of the joy and abundance that Jesus brings. Now, I imagine if you asked your um, friends or colleagues um, who don't believe in Jesus why they don't or what their problem with Christianity is, there would be a number of different responses. Um, Some would kind of cite uh, 
perhaps intellectual objections. Um, people would say, um, well, science has disproved God, hasn't it? Um, of course it hasn't, but we'd get a wide range of reasons. Um, but I wonder if uh, one that might uh, crop up pretty often is that Christianity seems quite dull, quite dry, quite boring. It's all about rules. It's about you know, draining the fun out of life, isn't it? When I was at school, I remember talking to one of my friends at age uh, 13 or 14, and I'd invited him to a carol service or something, I think. And uh, he said to me, Chris, um, I, I think I might become a Christian when I'm 70 or 80, when I've had my life, when I've had fun in life, and then that's what's left. And I happen to think uh, he was actually being quite honest, and probably a lot of people think the same as that. And... Um, if the fact that not all of Claygate is gathered with us this morning, if that has anything to do with um, that people think Christianity is boring or joyless or at best something to be tolerated maybe until we get our children into Isha Church School, then, then, then what a shame. What a shame. And if we've been part of that, uh, friends, I know I have at time, if we've been you know, contributed to that by, by being dull, by, by coming along on... Uh, Sunday mornings and being consumed with our own problems and not really interested in talking to others, being unfriendly, then we really should ask for God's forgiveness for being such a poor reflection of what Jesus is like, of what God wants for his people. Because look at verse uh, 6 with me. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Uh, Jesus said, fill them with water, and we know the rest of the story. It turned into incredible wine. But did you do the maths as uh, that was being read, as Philip was talking earlier? It's probably more than 900 bottles of wine, perhaps as many as 1,000. You know, not just one more for the road, friends, as you're on your way out. No, maybe 1,000 bottles of wine Jesus makes. It's a crazy, it's, it's, it's a crazy miracle, it's lavish, it's completely uh, abundant. There's so much. And, um, of course, wine makes people glad, doesn't it? Too glad if we have too much. Um, but in the Bible, that is what wine stands for, time and time again. Um, God making his people uh, glad is signified by there being um, feasting and great wine. Back in, back in Isaiah, we're given a prophecy of the Lord uh, feasting with his people. It says this, on his holy mountain, on this holy mountain, uh, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him. Let us, be, let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. That's what Jesus has come to bring. Jesus has come to bring joy. He's come to make that wedding party great. But more than that, he's come to bring joy for all of us, a joy that can't be exhausted. And um, he makes that specifically clear in a few chapters' time, in in chapter 10, where he says, the thief comes uh, only to steal and kill and uh, ruin. Um, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. It's not just a name that... um, Mike or Philip dreamed up for the mission. Those are Jesus' words, um, life to the full. That's, that's the point of the mission, abundant, joyful life. 
and um, it's a theme we've already had several weeks this uh, year and again is, again is apt as we think this morning about commitment uh, Sunday, about, about giving um, something back because we're aware of, of the abundance that we have been given, abundant joyfulness. Uh, I hope it goes without saying that um, the fact Jesus wants uh, abundance um, or rather an abundant life for us um, doesn't mean um, he wants some of these following things. He doesn't necessarily want us to have an abundance of things, an abundance of stuff in life because I think the more we have, I think the Bible's pretty clear on this, the more we have um, then the further uh, we tend to be from God rather than closer. Jesus doesn't necessarily want us to have lives of great achievement. We sometimes use phrases like, you know, being the best we can be or um, fulfilling our potential at work. And um, maybe I'm being too harsh, but in my experience, it's, it's usually um, we use phrases like that as an excuse for uh, why we're neglecting another role in our lives of um, a Christian uh, parent or or friend, or, or husband, or wife. Because I don't, I don't think God is actually hugely concerned with how many promotions we get. But uh, he is hugely concerned with how we reflect him, with how we share him with our colleagues and friends and family. And also, an, an abundant and joyful life um, isn't the same as a happy life. Again, I don't think anywhere in the Bible does Jesus uh, promise or does God promise um, followers that we will have happy lives. Otherwise, where is God for the Christians in Iraq and Syria and Nigeria and so many other places? Has he forgotten them? Aren't they as important as we are, content and happy in Claygate? Of course not. Of course not. So there are, there are lots of reasons not to follow Jesus it is hard. It's going to make us stick out. It starts to affect every single part of our lives. It should do. There are certainly reasons to reject Jesus. But I hope that uh, a boring or sad or depressing life is not one of them. So finally, um, a sign of what he came to do, or you could say a sign of the cost of this abundance, You see, on the face of it, it's a fairly costless miracle, isn't it? Um, The bridegroom um, or the MC at the wedding uh, certainly doesn't pay anything. We've already said they didn't know that the wine had run out. And, uh, you know, when it turns up, we don't know what the bridegroom thought when the kind of MC said to him, this this new wine is the best. We, you know, maybe just thought, oh, that's great. Um, But... uh, Jesus, it, it, it didn't even seem very hard for him either. You know, it didn't even take him much time. So it seems strange then, doesn't it, when Jesus talks to Mary, his mother, how he does. When she says to him, you know, the wine has run out. And then he says to her, um, woman, not even dear woman, that's just something the uh, translators have added into our Bibles. Woman, why do you involve me? And... Um, did he then realise he'd been slightly harsh on his mum and think, oh yeah, I better actually do what mum says and uh, produce all this wine? I don't, I don't think that's very likely. But um, perhaps a better explanation is this, that as Jesus uh, sat there or stood there part of this 
wedding feast, um, his mind was being transported to um, the ultimate wedding feast um, that he's looking forward to. The wedding feast we're, we're told about um, in heaven, where, where Jesus is going to be the bridegroom. Where as the bridegroom, he waits for his bride, his people, to be presented to him. The words in the Bible say this, I saw the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And I wonder if, as Jesus uh, was in the wedding feast in Cana, and yet thinking about the future wedding feast, he thought to himself, well, that wedding feast, providing uh, food and, and wine at that, is going to be a great cost to me. Preparing my, my bride is going to be pouring out my blood on the cross. Think of Jesus uh, thinking about that as he says in verse 4 my time or literally my hour has not yet come and that's code language it's used nine times in John's gospel for um, Jesus talking about his his hour his time on the cross and it's used more and more as it becomes as it comes into sharper focus and as Jesus looked around the uh, wedding and um, the guests holding their uh, cups that were being drained and there being nothing to refill them. Perhaps he thought to himself, but I wish my cup was empty. I wish my cup was empty. I wish my cup was not full of the curse of God. Because on the night before he died, Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. The cup of God's wrath, the cup of separation from God of God's only son. But he knew that he had to drink it. That like the wine he would create for the guests at the wedding, his blood had to be poured out to enable that great wedding feast to go ahead. And of course, we know, most of us, that that is what happened, um, that, that Jesus uh, went to the cross and uh, that as he had uh, nails uh, hammered into his hands and feet and a spear pushed into his uh, side, his, his blood flowed so that a swap could be completed. Uh, our dirt for his spotlessness, our separation for his sonship. His hour would come and he would drink that cup, the cup of God's wrath. It's pretty wonderful news, isn't it? I think that's surely what John alludes to when in verse 11 he says that this sign shows us uh, that it reveals Jesus' glory. Reveals his glory. It's great news. He's a pretty awesome saviour to want to tell people about. Because you know what that says about you and me? It means that he thinks we're incredibly special. That he was prepared to give up everything. Give up everything of himself to enable us to be this beautiful, ravishing bride who uh, he's going to be uh, looking forward to receiving on his wedding day at the wedding feast at the end of time. 
And um, so as we come to a close, um, we thought at the beginning of uh, how, how this sign is about bringing us to, to faith or a deeper um, faith in Jesus. And um, as, we, as we sing the next um, few songs and as we pray, I think, first in a minute, um, let's just really uh, meditate again on um, how he cares for us, how he meets us in our need, how his plan for our lives is, is one of joy, one of abundance, and how he values us so much that he gave everything for us. Do, uh, do pray with me.